Notice with me this first verse, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Simon, Simeon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're continuing on a series which we began several weeks ago. This is part five. And I would just encourage you, if you have not done so, to go back and listen to the previous messages which are available on our website, sophie.church. And also you can find them online uh, and social media like YouTube, SoundCloud. But the Christian life is a life of faith, a walk of faith. It is initiated by faith. It is propelled by faith. We receive the gift of salvation by faith. And we take hold of all of the benefits and blessings of salvation also by faith. In fact, the New Testament refers to Christianity itself as the faith something like 25 different times. Now, actually, we could say that all men live by faith, but not all men are living by faith in God. Everybody has faith, but not everybody has faith in God. They have faith in themselves. They have faith somewhere. So many people have misplaced faith, even in the church world. Many people today have more faith in men than they do in the Lord. Is the Lord the first one you turn to in a time of trouble? When there's a crisis, do you go to the throne or do you go to the phone? Hmm? The one that you turn to first is the one you really believe in. Are you out there today? You know, I heard people say things like this. In the church world, when all else fails, try God. No, he's not the God of last resorts. He's not the God we turn to when there's no other choice. He is our best and our first choice. He's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. How about a better amen? Amen. Notice the scripture here in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 and 8. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. It goes on to say, he is like a tree planted by water. It does not cease to bear fruit. So it's real simple. God's favor and his blessings are on those who trust him. Not just those who try him, those who trust him. Now, even good, well-meaning people will disappoint you. Isn't that true? But God never fails. He will not lie and he cannot die. And the man who relies on the Lord in the good times and in the bad times... Jeremiah says he will flourish and he will be fruitful. What I find is many times people seemingly have faith when all is going well. But in the difficulties of life, in the storms of life, they often 
turn loose. They let go. They cast away their confidence. That's when you need more than ever to press in and hold, take hold of the promise of God. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, in the New King James Version, it says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That means he won't disappoint you. He won't let you down. I know sometimes at the present, at this moment, it may seem like it's not working. It may seem like, where is God? But if you'll be faithful, if you'll hang in there, you'll see that ultimately his word will prevail in your life if you put your faith in him. But contrarywise, in Jeremiah chapter 17, just back up a couple of verses. In Jeremiah 17 verse 5, we read this. Cursed. Oh, notice that. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. It isn't necessarily wrong to trust people. In fact, we cannot function in this world without trusting others to some degree. Huh? How, how many of you men trust your wife? None. Okay, praise the Lord. <laughs> You, you can't do business. You cannot conduct business without some measure of trust in others. Buying, selling, buying on credit, you know, signing contracts. There has to be some level of trust. That's why it's so difficult to open a bank account in India. Nobody trusts nobody. I speak from experience, don't I? Hallelujah. Amen. But we should not put the kind of faith in man that is only reserved for God. You understand what I'm saying? So like I saw a sign in one shop in Dimapur, maybe you've seen this too, that said, in God we trust. Everyone else pays cash. <laughs> it's, 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 it's found in a new verse of scripture that I just wrote. Fifth John chapter one, verse one, no Bucky. God may use men to bring a, a, a supply to us, but he alone is our source. You need to know that because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. That doesn't mean it just floats down on a cloud and lands on your head. Surely God is going to use the resources that are in the earth, but it's his favor. It's his grace that inspired someone to give to you, that led someone to help you, that orchestrated the situation so that it worked out in your favor. That's why we give him praise. And he alone deserves our worship. And with that same thought... Do not allow others to elevate you to a place that only God should occupy in their lives. Let me say that again. Do not allow other people to elevate you to a place that only God should occupy. When people start, you know, praising you and lifting you up and making too much of you, you need to remind them, I'm a human being with imperfections. 
Let me help you. Write this down, you that are taking notes. Are you ready with your pen? Write it down. You are not God. That's a revelation for somebody here today. There is a God in heaven, and you are not him. You are not the savior of the world. Did you know, wives, you are not the Holy Ghost? Yes, I know you're the Holy Ghost assistant. I, I heard that. Can't deny that. But <laughs> You are not the healer. You are not the burden bearer. The weight of the world is not on your shoulders. God can use you to further his purposes, but you are just a vessel, a willing vessel for his glory. To him belong all the praise and all the honor. Hmm? So this scripture tells me the man who puts his unqualified confidence in mortal flesh will not be blessed. That may be why some people struggle in life. They have misplaced faith. In fact, verse 6, same chapter, chapter 17, verse 6 says, He is like a shrub in the desert. He shall not see any good come. What do you want to be? A flourishing palm tree, fruit tree, or a little shrub in the desert? So if your life is dry and barren, you have misplaced faith. Hmm? Come on, some people say, I trust in the Lord, but let's be honest, they're actually leaning on their family, on their political connections, their bank account, their job. Huh? But when all those things are removed, then we'll find out what you really believe. Then again... Some people say, of course, they're not here this morning. Some people say, you have to trust me. I mean, some Christians will say, you have to trust me. No, I don't. I said, no, I don't. I'm commanded to love everyone. I'm not commanded to trust everyone. Jesus, Jesus did not say a new commandment I give you, that you trust everybody just like I trust you. No, I said I don't trust you, and you shouldn't trust them either. <laughs> there are some people you would be a fool to trust. Maybe you know someone just like that. Maybe that's you. I don't know. <laughs> that's true. Amen. Now, faith, the kind of faith that Peter is talking about is confidence in God. It's taking him at his word. Many Christians accept the word of a doctor, a banker, or a lawyer unquestioningly, without hesitation. The doctor says, I have flambango, make a loco. Oh, that's it, I've got it. You, know, you don't even know what it is, but he said it. That's what it is. I don't know why anybody would have faith in a lawyer. Am I going to get in trouble here? I can't remember the man's name, but one famous attorney said, a good lawyer is a great liar. Why on earth would you believe a lawyer? I cannot begin to imagine. <laughs> I'm not against 
people who are serving in those professions. But many Christians gladly accept without question the word of men, but then they disregard and they look askance at the word of God. Hmm. Hmm? They say things like, I know the Bible says that, but... Anything that comes after that but is called unbelief. Scripture says, my God shall supply all your need. Well, I know he'll supply all my need, but there's no but in that verse. But your but, get your but out of there. (laughs) Then some Christians say, God's ways are mysterious. See, they try to make their unbelief sound spiritual. Yes, I understand that we will never comprehend all there is to know about God, but what you're really saying is God is not dependable. That's what you're really saying. No, he is dependable. Our faith is because he's faithful. Unbelief and doubt is an attack on God's integrity. The scripture itself tells us in 1 John that When you disbelieve the word of God, you're accusing God of lying. No wonder it's impossible to please God without faith. How can you accuse God of being dishonest and expect him to be happy about that? Has anyone ever called you a liar to your face? Some of you are nodding vigorously. Okay, praise the Lord. (laughs) Has anyone ever accused you of lying? You lied. When I was in business... Uh, with family business, there was a bad situation. It's a long story, but they called me into the office and the customer said, you lied to me. And I started to give an explanation. No, I didn't. No, 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 no. You lied to me. Man, those words still hurt. These many years later, 35 years later, whatever, still hurt, you know. How do you feel? Not Not particularly happy. But when we disregard The scripture, when we toss it aside, when we glance at it and say, well, yeah, you're basically pointing your finger at God and saying, you lied to me. That's wrong. It is no small thing to accuse God of unrighteousness. You and I mess up. He does not mess up. If there's a failure, it's with us. Why don't we be humble enough to say, okay, I I don't understand it. I guess I need to change somewhere. There's something I don't see. But right away, people just accuse God. That's the epitome of arrogance, by the way. I'm right and God's wrong. (laughs) Let me help you. God's never wrong. You often. (laughs) It's getting quiet in this Holy Ghost church. Praise the Lord. Amen. Is the air conditioner on too much? You're too, too cold to say amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Faith. This is a life of faith. There's more to say. Faith is not hoping that God will do something for you. Sister, do you believe? Do you believe God has heard our prayer? I hope so. Well, he hasn't. Dear brother, will you be healed? I hope so. Well, you won't. Because God operates on the principle of faith, not the principle of hope. If you ask somebody, a friend, are you saved? Do you know Jesus as Lord? If they say, I hope so, you need to stop and talk to them. It's not a hope so. That's not the correct answer. What if you ask somebody, 
uh, excuse me, are you a man or a woman? Are you a man? I hope so. No, no, we need to pray. We cast the devil out of you. <laughs> That's not the right answer. Amen. Faith is knowing that God will do exactly what he promised. It is a confident expectation that what you desire will come to pass. See, the man who has faith is not surprised when the answer comes. I said the man or woman who has faith is not surprised when the answer is manifested. When the money comes, when the, when the pain leaves, they're not surprised. They expected it. They knew it would happen. In fact, faith considers it done even before there is a change in the circumstance. I don't know why God won't answer my prayer. How do you know he hasn't? Well, the situation hasn't changed. See, you're walking by sight. That's not walking by faith. Thank you for your intense thought at this moment. Praise the Lord. So let's go back to our text, 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Notice that Peter addresses his letter to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing, to those who have obtained or who have received a faith like precious faith. If we have obtained it, received it, that means it was given. Write this down. Faith is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. Really, it's very much like wisdom, for the Lord gives wisdom. How? From his mouth comes instruction and understanding through his word. Faith is a gift from God. Let me read you a scripture real quickly. In Philippians 1.29, the easy-to-read version says, He allowed you to believe in Christ, but that's not all. He has also given you the honor of suffering for Christ. That's an honor that nobody here wants. He allowed you to believe. That's what it says. How did God allow us to believe? Well, let's look at another scripture. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. The Bible says Paul preached the gospel to a woman named Lydia and others who were with her. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things which were spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to receive or to respond to the things which Paul said. That means before this happened, before the Lord moved on her by his spirit, her heart was closed. You can't open a door that's already open. That means before this happened, she was not able or maybe not willing to respond. See, it's true that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's also true that not everyone who hears has faith. You can't have faith without hearing, but there are many who hear and don't believe. Now, listen carefully because it's a new thought for some of you. From your vantage point, from where you are sitting right now, faith began. Faith began in your life when you made a decision to accept God's word as truth. 
But from God's perspective, where he's seated this morning, faith began when he touched your heart. So who's right about it? You're both right. Faith is a combination of human will and divine influence. The Lord opened her heart. Then she believed. He allowed her to believe. He, he influenced her. Again, faith is a combination of human will and divine influence. You make a decision, but you may not have realized that it was the Spirit of God dealing with you. Are you here today? Faith does not come to us from mere intellectual information. Faith does not come by mere head knowledge, just mere intellectual information. There are many people in the church world, you know, throughout the body of Christ, or I don't know if they're saved or not, but just in general, there are many people in the church world who know the scriptures forwards and backwards and don't have one gram of faith. There are people who have spent their entire life in church. Some are serving in the ministry and have done so for many years. And they could not believe God for a postage stamp. They have intellectual knowledge. But faith doesn't come that way. Real faith is the product of a different kind of knowledge. We've been emphasizing if you want a different kind of life, you'll need a different kind of faith. Now I'm telling you, if you want a different kind of faith, you'll need a different kind of knowledge. Real faith is produced through revelation knowledge. That's a good thing to write down, through revelation knowledge. Now, what do I mean when I say that? I'm not talking about something that's fantastic and bizarre. I don't mean that. I don't mean like you have to go up to heaven and, or you, you know, that you see angels. I don't, I don't mean that. I simply mean this. Supernatural insight and understanding of God's word that comes to us through the Holy Spirit. It's something that you could never attain to without his help. You cannot understand the Bible until you meet the author. The Bible is a closed book to those whose hearts are closed. Are you listening to me? It requires the help of the Holy Spirit. Smith Wigglesworth once said this, Some people read the Bible in Hebrew, others read it in Greek, I read it in the Holy Ghost. Well, what he means is, I think what he means is, it's, it's perfectly good to study languages and, and, and hermeneutics and homiletics and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, you must depend on the Holy Spirit to help you understand the truth of God's Word. Amen? Hallelujah. See, you may read the Bible, but only God can give you light. Now, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 17... Paul prayed for fellow believers. And it's very interesting how he prayed for other Christians. And in his prayer, he asked that God would give to them 
a spirit of revelation. I'm talking about revelation knowledge. A spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. So that means it's not enough to have knowledge. You need a revelation of that knowledge. What does he actually mean by that? Well, he elaborates further in the very next verse, which is verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. That means your heart, it really means your spirit has eyes. That means you don't know God's word sufficiently. You don't know it the way you need to know it until you see it down here in your spirit. How many of you have ever read a scripture verse or a passage of scripture? Maybe one that's very familiar to you. You may have read it, you know, dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times. And suddenly you saw something that you hadn't seen before. It just seemed like the word jumped off the page or something just struck you about that. Like, wait a minute, I never saw that before. Has that ever happened to anybody here? I see, I see quite a few hands. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Revelation knowledge does not come because you are Albert Einstein and you're so smart and you understand the theory of relativity and, and you're a brainiac, you know, and you have a high IQ and you have lots of degrees but no temperature. That's not how revelation knowledge comes. Revelation knowledge comes when the Holy Spirit reaches in your heart and turns on the light. That's why it's irritating to some educated people because here's others who have no education or maybe no formal education, and they have lots of faith. Why is it that when a man graduates from theological cemetery, I'm sorry, seminary, that that's the end of his prayer life? Why is that? Because they have intellectual knowledge often. It doesn't have to be that way, but they don't have revelation knowledge. Are listening to me? So that means we not only need to read the Bible, which is true, we do. We're studying it now, aren't we? But you need to have a prayer life. I don't mean that we are praying that God would give us faith. Oh, God, please give me faith. For the scripture does not teach us to do that. For you to pray, God, give me faith, would be a prayer of unbelief, and God wouldn't answer that prayer. But we need to fellowship with the Father. We need to spend time in his presence. We need to be worshipers of the Lord. It's so interesting that Lydia, Luke describes her as a worshiper of God, and God opened her heart. Maybe that's a connection that if you would be more of a worshiper, God would open your heart more. See, when we sing in the, in the morning before the service, that's not a preliminary. We're not waiting for you to arrive. Now we can start. That is the service. In heaven, we're not going to have weddings. I, you know, we're glad we have them in the earth. Don't misunderstand me. In heaven, we're not going to have funerals. We're not going to have water baptismal services in heaven. Hmm? I don't know if we're going to give away, you know, gift bags like we did. This, I don't. Maybe we will, but I don't know. But I know one thing: we'll worship God. I read it in the book of Revelation. There's a lot of worship going on in heaven. Nons. If you don't like worship, don't go to heaven. Go to hell. <laughs> There's no worship there. <laughs> Sorry, but that's a fact. Heaven is full of worship. 
Amen. They're worshipers. They're not ashamed to worship God. Angels praise him with loud voices. Elders cast their golden crowns before his throne. Woo, there's a lot of worship. If you want to have faith, you need to have a prayer life. It's not just intellectual information. You need to walk with God. How can I trust God? Because I know him. That's also why I don't trust some other people. I don't know them. I never trust someone who says, trust me. That's a red flag. Trust me. If a stranger walked up to you and said, trust me, would you? Probably not. I trust him because I know him. I know him because I seek not just his hand, but his face. In other words, some people only pray when there's a need. Some people only come to church when there's a crisis. But that's not Christianity. God's not just a repairman in your life. He's your father. He wants to spend time with you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So Paul prayed that God would give them a spirit of revelation, and you and I can pray that way too. God can flood your heart with light. Hallelujah. Now, going back, 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, to, to those who have obtained, who have received, English Standard Version says faith of equal standing, but actually in the Greek it literally says faith of equal value. Like precious, the word precious means valuable. Faith of equal value. So that tells me your faith is valuable. Your faith is valuable. See, like uh, maybe your shoes are expensive. And like so you don't want to walk through the mud. These are, these are expensive. These are not. But, you know, maybe your shoes are designer shoes. Maybe, maybe your, 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 your pants are, are expensive. I don't want to sit there. These are, these are my Gucci, whatever. These are my Calvin Klein. These are not. These are, you know. But, you know, maybe, you know, something's valuable, you take care of it. You don't let it out of your sight. You watch it. You know, you're, you don't just loan it out to any old buddy. You know, you're careful. Your faith is more valuable than your clothes. Your faith is more valuable than your car. Your faith is more valuable than your house. Why? Because Jesus says, if you have it, nothing's impossible for you. We can't say that about your shoes. Jesus never said, if you wear Calvin Klein, nothing is impossible for you. We can't say that about your vehicle. If you drive a Toyota, nothing is impossible for you. No, but, but faith makes impossibilities possible. Hallelujah. Faith is the hand that receives what God is offering. That's a good sentence to write down. Faith is the hand that receives, that takes hold of what God is offering. Here's a scripture verse that we need to read more often. Mark eleven twenty four. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer... Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whatever you ask for in prayer, you're asking for healing, you're asking for finances, you're asking for wisdom, strength, whatever you ask for in prayer, what do you do? Believe. Believe what? Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Most Christians think if God gives me the money, then I'll have it. 
if God gives me the healing, then I'll have it. If God fills me with his spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, then I'll have that experience. Wrong. Dead wrong. Even if God is offering you something, you will not have it until you reach out and receive it. And it will not be yours until you receive it. Believe that you have received it. Then it will happen. Then it will be yours. See, you're waiting for it to happen, and then you're going to believe, and that's the opposite of what Jesus said to do. Are you out there today? Faith is the hand. Somebody say, faith is the hand that receives from God. Hmm. I am convinced that many Christians are living in a small place. I mean, figuratively speaking. They're living in a small place with limited resources. Beset with impossibilities or insurmountable obstacles. Not because it's God's will for them. But because they have not taken hold of what God is offering them with the hand of faith. I'm convinced many Christians are living a very limited life. In some cases, we would say a defeated life, not because that's God's will. Not because God is stingy. See, some Christians imagine that, some Christians believe that God is stingy. And if you notice, they don't have anything. I believe he's an abundant God and I have more. Does that mean that my believing has changed God? No. It simply means that I've reached out and received more that you also could have if you believed. Amen. Hallelujah. Faith is the hand that receives from God. So let's go back to the scripture. Can you take a little bit more? Come on, staff. Can can they take a little bit more? Yes. Come on, Jeppy. Can they take a little bit more? Okay, praise God. Give her some more coffee, you know, after the service is over. Peter said, to those who have obtained a faith of equal value with ours. We have obtained this faith. It's a gift from God. It comes from the Word of God, but it's also because God opened our hearts and our faith is valuable and our faith is of equal value, Peter said, with ours. Your faith is just as valuable as Peter's faith. Peter wrote this letter by the Spirit of God. Faith of equal value with ours. Ours means like Peter's talking about himself and the other apostles. Your faith is just as powerful. Your prayers can be just as potent as any of the apostles. That means you don't need to find a man of God to pray for you. I mean, you can. There's nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to be dependent on someone else your entire Christian life. Your faith is just as valuable as Peter's. So uh, let's imagine this, and I know this would never happen 
never. But let's just pretend that I go to the ice cream shop. Hold on. I can't button my jacket, but anyways. And so I want some ice cream, and, and, and the shopkeeper, the price is listed, or the shopkeeper tells me it's 500 rupees. Woo! Some people would say, no way, I'm not spending 500 rupees. But Pastor John would, because <laughs> he has a big hand. He believes God. <laughs> So, so I give the man 500 rupees, and he gives me a lot of ice cream. Now, you walk in to the same shop with the, and pay the same 500 rupees to get the same ice cream, and the shopkeeper gives it to you. See, my 500 rupees is not more valuable than your 500 rupees. The shopkeeper doesn't say, this costs 500 John rupees and it'll cost 800 Naga rupees. No, it doesn't work that way. It's the same. It's just as valuable. Other people may have more faith than you. Other people may be using their faith more often than you use yours, but their faith is not more valuable than yours. What they accomplish by faith, you can too. Why do you think Hebrews 11 is written? Just so we'll go, ooh, ah, wow, these people are wonderful. No, so that you'll be inspired to step out as well and take hold of the blessings God has provided for you. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, here's the other verse I'm going to read. Oh, no. Yeah, but I won't spend too much time on this. Go to verse 5, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to skip over a bunch of things because, you know, time does not permit. And I know the heart can receive only what the seat can endure. <laughs> see, we turn the lights up while I'm preaching because I want to see if you leave. <laughs> if they were dark, you know, you all might sneak out quietly and I wouldn't know it. But no, we turn them up. In verse 5, it says this. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. For this reason, make every effort to supplement. This is the English Standard Version. I like the way it's written. Other translations say add to your faith, but supplement your faith with virtue. All right. So as you get older, not me, but I'm thinking about you. As you get older... You tend to be more health conscious because your wife tells you you need to be more health conscious, right? When, when, when you're younger, like I said earlier, you can eat all the ice cream you want to. When you're older and you reach for ice cream, your wife slaps you. I could give marital counseling right here. Who needs it? Huh? When you're a little boy, your mother says, eat everything that's on that table. And you say, I don't want to. And she, she, she just looks at you. You're going to eat all of it. When you get married, your host says, would you like some more? And you say, yes. And your wife kicks you under the table. <laughs> See, they, they change the rules on you and they don't tell you. And you wake up one day and say, when did my wife become my mama? When did that, ha I, when did that happen? I missed that part. I'm just preparing you, brother. <laughs> By the way, I may need counseling when this service is over. <laughs> it's 
So as you get older, you know, you should be more health conscious. I mean, should is a big word there. But, um, <laughs> but uh, so I take vitamin supplements, see, like a multivitamin, because I'm not getting all the nutrient that's required in just my daily diet. My wife takes them too, and you know, maybe you do too, right? In fact, some people suffer with certain aches and pains, but find relief by taking a supplement of maybe like magnesium or calcium. I'm not prescribing something, please. I'm just giving that as a possible example, okay? Don't, don't go out there and do that. I'm just telling you. So likewise, here's the point. For your faith to work properly, you may need to take some spiritual supplements. You may need to enhance your spiritual diet. There may be some missing ingredients that need to be added. And Peter lists in this passage, I'm not going to take the time today, I don't have time today, he lists seven spiritual supplements. And the first one is virtue. That's interesting. If I was writing this letter, that would not be the first word out of my mouth. Virtue. I mean, that's a word that hardly ever use. The Greek word for virtue means goodness and uprightness and moral excellence. See? So let me ask you a question. Does being a good person have something to do with dynamic faith? Evidently, yes. So in other words, you can know all the scriptures, but if you live like a scoundrel, you're going to have difficulty. Huh? Hallelujah. So that means many Christians don't need another lesson on faith and confession. They need to develop godly character. They need, that's the supplement that they need. Nobody has as much faith as Jesus. And no one is more virtuous than him either. There is a connection between goodness and faith that works. Hallelujah. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just telling you, praise the Lord. But here's a point, another little point here. Now, I'm going to finish this in just a moment here. But the Greek word for virtue literally means something else. Now, sometimes the literal meaning is not exactly what the person intended. You know, like he's not using it literally. But it is helpful here. The Greek word for virtue literally means valor and manliness. I could preach a sermon right now. You know, people talk about toxic masculinity. And so we have a whole bunch of like feminine men out there. Not so much in Nagaland, but I'm afraid that's coming your way soon. Huh? Sometimes we have the, dis, I, gotta, I don't want to get off course, we have the, the dissolution, the dissolving of the, of, the, of the family. Some women, not in Nagaland necessarily, but, you know, in, in some places, you know, like, the, I, don't, I don't want a man. I'll just have a baby and get rid of the man. So there is no man in the home. So when their son grows up, he doesn't want to be a man. He wants to be a woman. Let me just stop here for a second and help you. Men are men and women are women. And if you're a man, you should walk like a man. No, that, that, uh-uh, no. 
And if you're a woman, you should walk like a woman, not like a gorilla. You, 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 women are women and men are men. They may have equal rights and status, but they're not identical. Let me go a little further. God did not make a mistake when he made you. You were supposed to be a woman, but somehow he made a mistake and you came out a man. Oh, that's a lie from the devil. <laughs> that, is, that is a lie. He, you are who he made you to be. I mean, you may have some defects and faults. Everybody does. But your gender is not in question. I know that some girls, I don't know why I'm getting off on this. I know some girls are a little bit more tomboyish. When I married Jeppy, she was a little tomboyish. But I can testify that she is a woman. I'll be the first to raise my hand. <laughs> and I know that there are some men who are a little softer, genteel. The Bible says Jacob was softer. Esau was more rugged. But Jacob was not confused about his gender. Mother. Who am I really? No, he's not confused about that at all. Maybe that'll help somebody. Maybe that was just what you needed to hear. I don't know. Some people won't like that. Well, you know, too bad. There's the door. Take you to the main road right there. The Greek word for virtue means valor and manliness. Well, even if you're a woman, you could have courage. That's the idea. Hallelujah. It takes courage. You ever think about this? It takes courage to live for God. It takes some courage. Supplement your faith with valor. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Ring books, he was actually a devout Catholic. He said this. I thought it's very interesting. J.R.R. Tolkien. Living by faith includes the call to something greater than cowardly self-preservation. Living by faith includes the call to something greater than cowardly self-preservation. We will never be all that God intends for us to be if our primary incentive in life is merely to preserve and to protect our life. You have to live for something bigger than that. I said you have to live for something bigger than that. Jesus gave no thought to his own safety when he walked on water. He saw his disciples struggling and he went to their aid and God worked a miracle. That's why faith works by love. Jesus wasn't concerned in the least with being embarrassed when he told the crowd of mourners at Jairus' house, the little girl isn't dead, only sleeping. And the Bible says they laughed him to scorn. Most people I know would be mortified if that happened. They would never say that for, for, for fear that, that, that others would laugh at them. But Jesus was more focused on her well-being than what others thought of him. Listen to me. More often than not, we are not defeated by the devil and demons, but by ourselves. By ourselves. 
we are intimidated by even the thought of someone else's disapproval. We would rather stay in a low place of obscurity and be overlooked by others than to step forward in faith and face possible ridicule. It isn't the will of God that's holding us back. It's our own fear of being embarrassed or being shamed. You're your own worst enemy. Are listening to me? It takes some courage. It takes some valor. It takes some manliness. I want to finish this by reading a long quotation from former U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt. Bear with me as I read this. I think it's very interesting. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Whew. He's talking about natural human effort, just natural human faith. But I think there's a thought there that can help us in our walk with the Lord. This life, this life of faith is not for timid and cold souls. If you want to walk on water, the first step is to get out of the boat. Hallelujah. Courage. As someone has said, courage is not the absence of fear. It is doing what is right even when you feel afraid. And this is where virtue and valor meet. Hallelujah. I pray for us. I feel like for many of us, I want to include myself in this. We need some more valor. We need to supplement our faith with more courage. Hallelujah. To do what is right even when we do feel afraid. Can you stand with me to your feet this morning? Thank you for your patience right now.